It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Heart of Utah on Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. We reported earlier today that we know a uh, influx of refugees from Afghanistan will be coming to the Beehive State here this week. Some close to 700 will be uh, coming to the state. And uh, we're going to go to the the beginning. Before they were refugees, they were actually evacuees. And many of the things that we watched play out in the early days of the withdrawal from Afghanistan and, of course, those who were fleeing the country. And we are thrilled to be joined by a a Utah native. Chaplain Jonathan Dawson uh, is joining us from Qatar today. Uh, Chaplain Dawson, thanks so much for uh, making some time for us. Sure. Happy to talk. So give us some some sense of those early days and some of the things that you were dealing with in terms of really a humanitarian beginning to this as you looked at those evacuees. So... Uh, as, as was clear on the news on the 15th of August, uh, that's when the evacuees began uh, coming here to Aliyah Air Base in Qatar. Uh, we were, of course, on the front end of that. And as they came, uh, we did our best to accommodate them. And so um, we weren't as prepared as we would have liked to have been. And so we, we were busy finding places for them and getting for them the necessary essentials that you need when, um, when you leave a place in a, a hurried way. Uh, many of them, Boyd, were, um, were quite destitute, um, as you can imagine. They, many fled with just the clothes on their back. And so we, we, we uh, quickly um, engaged and went into um, help mode, right? Yeah. Uh, as a chaplain, that's that's my job is is to help people, and so we we made a very deliberate and concerted effort to do that initially. Um, I, I think it's important to know. So I'm I'm endorsed by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, which of course uh, many of your listeners I'm sure in Utah will will know at the LDS Church. Um, and what I, what I did, what um, the the local religious. Um, group here, the, the branch. It's a branch that we have here at, at IUD. Um, I'm the branch president for for the, the, the local branch here. And um, we had begun actually in July um, mm. planning for something like this. So I, I think to many from on the outside, when they saw us jump and, and do a lot of things on the front end um, and be able to, to engage and get things done, um, that, that wasn't necessarily the case. So um, I actually arrived here on the 2nd of July and was sitting in a religious service, um, not one of my own denomination, but was sitting in one on, interestingly enough, on, on Independence Day, the 4th of July. Wow. And uh, I had the distinct impression, uh, I will use my terminology, I call it the Holy Spirit. Um, I felt that the Holy Spirit impressed me to, to start planning and thinking about what could be done. It was a very direct and poignant impression, and it was that I needed to do something for my Afghan brothers and sisters. And 
and so I engaged with the leadership team here, not just at IUD, but also in the local area, uh, in Qatar, also in um, UAE, United, United Arab Emirates. And then also I reached out to, to LDS Charities um, in Salt Lake City. And we, we pondered, prayed, talked about, thought about, worked through many different plans that could take place um, in order to help out. Yeah. And so when they arrived on the 15th, there was a lot to be done. And because of my role as a, as a clergyman, I was able to, to help um, utilizing the vehicle of LDS Charities and as a clergyman, not as a chaplain, in order to, um, to accept donated items from, uh, the, from LDS Charities and to, to get those quickly to the Afghan evacuees. Yeah. So long answer, but um, yeah, we, we, were, we were preparing for weeks before it actually happened. And that, that really is, is how it all started for me. Yeah, and that's such an important component when we look at things and situations like this where there is both physical and spiritual and emotional needs. Uh, we know that opportunity always favors the prepared. And, and so to actually hear that part of it, uh, it's easy to just watch you know, from afar and watch what we see on the, on the news uh, and just assume what is going on. But to know that was happening early on, your interaction, of course, with Latter-day Saint Ch- uh, Charities, the humanitarian arm, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, give us a little uh, sense in those early days. So you've, you've had this sense and impression, you've coordinated, you've planned, uh, and then when it actually began to start and, and those evacuees began to, to show up, give us a little sense of how that played out. Well, they, they were arriving fast. Um, at, at one point, we had... I think it was over 10,000. I don't know an exact number and couldn't give one anyway. Um, so, uh, but a lot of people were here at any given time. And so we, we found homes for them in as much as we were able. And during the first, I don't know exactly how many days, it's all kind of a blur, but three to five days, the military um, wasn't able to get things here as quickly as we would have liked to because of obvi- obvious constraints. And so, Based on what I was, what I was able to do with LDS Charities, um, we were able to be much more agile. So uh, with the funds donated by them, um, another clergyman and myself, we, uh, we were able to get a van, a 15-passenger van. Mm. And we went out into the local uh, economy and purchased items and brought them here. And um, it was about every eight hours we did that for days straight. And... Um, I feel like we were able to bridge the gap between uh, what the military uh, initially wasn't able to do simply because of all the um, organizational stuff that goes on in the military, right? And and, and, and helping and helping the evacuees. Yeah, and and so often that is the case that it's you know the government has its role, military has its role, and often it's those gaps uh, that are often filled by all kinds of religious organizations and just good people everywhere. I know uh, one report said uh, you had the equivalent of about 90 passenger vans uh, of different things from clothing and shoes to hygiene kits and supplies, uh, infant care items like baby formula and diapers. Uh, that had to be uh, just a an overwhelming uh, experience as you continued that day after day. Yeah, it was really long days. Um, I, I want to mention, too, it, it wasn't just LDS Charities, although they, right. they did a lot. Um, there, there was a local congregation I'm trying to remember the name of it. I, I can't offhand right now. Um, 
I believe it was called uh, Fellowship Christian Church of Doha. Mm. They they also stepped up and made donations, but also military members. Yeah. So many people, I mean, they went and plundered their own closets, and they went to the local BX, which is a it's equivalent to kind of a Walmart here at, at, at a military base. Uh-huh. Um, many people went and used their own funds and purchased things and brought them out to the uh, to the evacuees, and it was just, I mean, it, it was just awe-inspiring, boy. Yeah. Um, to be a part of it and to to see all of the kindness and the gratitude that was that was going on mutually between us and our and our Afghan brothers and sisters, it was it, it was really humbling. Yeah, and it does. It it takes people of all faiths and people of no faith that are just willing Absolutely. to to link arms and. Uh, do things. It, it it is what always. I can always be pessimistic about our uh, politics here in the United States, uh, but I'm always bullish on the country, but just because of the goodness of people and that it's community and culture that lead. and And I think this is a, a tremendous example uh, of how that actually plays out in reality. That it doesn't matter where you are in the world, uh, there are people who will do good things because it's the right thing to do. Amen and amen. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, is there anything else from your experience there, uh, again, kind of behind the scenes that you saw, uh, you can, I, I can sense just this great, uh, love and connection to, as you, you mentioned that your Afghan brothers and sisters, uh, who are also fellow travelers, uh, here in this world, uh, anything else you observed or noticed, uh, during the course of, of this evacuation process and all of this aid, uh, that was delivered that uh, stands out to you? Yeah, so I, I I have a little bit of a story. It's not not very long, and it's actually quite simplistic. I might start crying if I tell it, but I, I think it I think it would um, lend itself to the answering of the question you just asked. So uh, I don't know how many days in we were. It was probably somewhere right around that five day mark. Um, our our Qatari uh, partners here um, graciously had opened one of their hangars and allowed us to use it. And uh, we had uh, families in that hangar. And uh, I just dropped off a bunch of things with, with my counterpart, um, IT1 Jensen. He's a Navy guy. Um, he helped out a lot with um, the LDS charities and other things that we were doing. And uh, we were getting ready to leave. And a little, a little Afghan girl... Um, she probably wasn't much more than about six or eight years old. Uh, she came up to me and she handed me a note. And uh, on the note, she had drawn a little picture of herself and, uh, and a house. And it had stars and a moon. And the, it said simply in her broken English, the Taliban came in me country, my country, obviously. The safe, my country. I'm not sure what that means, but um, I don't like Taliban. I love all of you. Mm. And, uh, I mean, that just tugged on my heartstrings. Yeah. And uh, it helped me to be aware and, and just realize why it was we were doing what we were doing. And so um, I just count myself fortunate to have been here at this time. I don't think it's a coincidence. I believe that uh, the good Lord above puts us all where he needs us. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you choose to call him or 
heck, heck, even call her if you want to call God or her. Um, I, I think that, uh, I think that we're put where we need to be. Yeah. And so I, I, I feel blessed to have been here. Uh, I so appreciate you sharing that because it is, uh, it is what we're after. It's the better angels of our nature. It's recognizing, uh, there are, uh, superheroes among us, uh, rarely wearing cape and angels among us, uh, rarely with wings. Uh, when we come together as communities uh, to do exactly that. And uh, just to to put a, a bookend uh, of all of the things uh, that you and so many did in those early days as people evacuated from Afghanistan, uh, that on the other end of that, uh, these refugees, these fellow travelers, uh, about 700 of them are arriving in, in Utah uh, to begin anew. And I wow. uh, I hope that little girl uh, has a new home with stars and moons and a sun uh, and a bright future. And a lot of that is because of the great work uh, that you've done and so many of uh, your, your friends and uh, those that you work with uh, in so many different ways. And uh, Chaplain Jonathan Dawson, we appreciate so much your efforts, your work, uh, and for sharing uh, what I think is something we all need to be reminded of regularly, uh, and that is the things that really matter really matter to all of us uh, everywhere around the world, and that's a very uniting thought, uh, an important one for our day. Chaplain Jonathan Dawson, thank you again for joining us on Inside Sources today. Thank you, Boyd. I appreciate your time. That is our Heart of Utah focus today here on KSL News Radio, and uh, as I mentioned, there there are about 675 uh refugees from Afghanistan that will be coming here to the state of Utah, about 125 that will be here within the next week. Uh, There are a a lot of needs, a lot of opportunities. You can go to ksl.com and get more information there of how you can be helpful and what you can be helpful with. But but to me, this goes back to what we often talk about on this program, uh, and that is it, it takes a leader who's willing to lead. And I love that Chaplain Jonathan Dawson uh, had a premonition, had a thought, had a, a divine nudge, if you will, to start preparing in July, in early July, that something was coming and that they needed to be ready to help and to respond to that, to rally faith communities of all types, to rally his uh, fellow uh, military colleagues, uh, to literally go rummage through their closets and begin to assemble things that would be needed from food to clothing uh, to hygiene to things for for young children, Uh, all of that. That's what leadership looks like. That's what leadership acts like. And then see see people coming together and locking arms and saying, hey, we can make a difference here. Uh, Especially in those early days, you remember the, the images of how chaotic it was for those who were trying to get out of Afghanistan. And how desperate they were to leave. And then, of course, they were in many of these places that were just overwhelmed. They weren't prepared to receive that many, uh, 10,000 at one point. Uh, Jonathan uh, Dawson, the chaplain, told us. uh, And the needs were immense. And they literally, every eight hours, they were running out in this massive cargo van and filling it with everything they could get their hands on and bringing it back. And uh, to me, that's... uh, that's indicative, not just heart of Utah, that's uh, just the heart and soul of good people everywhere. And we need to be reminded of that. Yeah, we have our challenges in the world. Yes, we have disagreements on a host of things. Uh, but I will say it again, in the things that really matter, they really matter to everybody. People are good. Uh, there's a great cause for confidence uh, 
in the world because we can do it. We've proven we can do it. Yes, we need great leaders. More importantly, we need great individuals. We need more heroic individuals, stronger communities that can do these kinds of things, uh, not just in the midst of a crisis, but every day. And that's something worth thinking about. We're going to step aside for one last commercial break. Coming back, we'll round out the show with a few uh, concluding thoughts about leadership, about awe and wonder, even a little trip to space and beyond. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.